podcastjuice.net. The planet is restless, Captain. They want their podcast. And they shall have it. I'll beam down to the surface. You have the bridge. Captain, that is illogical. These are Trek fans. They will challenge and dissect your knowledge with great emotion. It is a mission fraught with danger, peril, and grave risk. Suggestions. Send in the red shirts. Ladies and gentlemen, it's so good to be back in the captain's chair. This is the red shirts. It's good to be back, too. It's all my fault. Like I said, <laughs> well, no, you know, I was, I was a little busy myself over the last couple of weeks, and uh, we are planning to have a special guest on the on the next recording. We have that set up. I'm going to keep that as a, as a surprise, but uh, yeah, we are back, and uh, unfortunately, we are down one crewmate for this episode. We are on course right now to go save Big Sexy. He was on a black ops mission and he got captured by the Kardashians. So. <laughs> He kept mumbling something about there are only four lights. I don't know what he's talking about, so we got to go see what's going on there. Uh, but we we are without Big Sexy today, so Mr. Craig J, you're going to have to serve as science officer, first officer, and security chief. Are you up for the task? Wow, that's tough. I think I think I think I can do it. <laughs> okay, how are you today? I'm good. I think that uh, before we talk about the undiscovered country, we should talk a little bit, a teeny little bit about the last Discovery episode. What do you think? Well, well yeah. I mean, it's, it's clearly what everyone wants. It's, it's, it's the only thing people are talking about. And, you know, like Craig just alluded to, we are going to talk about Discovery. Oh, see, there there I go. We're going to talk <laughs> about the undiscovered country, that faux pas that I just made. You know, it's because I don't want this to become the Discovery Channel. You can see that on YouTube. I have a we have a channel devoted to Discovery, but Star Trek is more than just the flavor of the moment, which is Discovery. So um, yeah, let, but we should spend a couple of minutes talking about it. Um, well, first, let me ask you, what are your thoughts on the show thus far? What are we six episodes in? Yeah, six in. Um, I'm enjoying it as a show. I'm enjoying the idea of the the new way of traveling. And uh, I'm I'm enjoying the storytelling. I'm still because I'm an old Trekkie. I'm still not enjoying the Klingons, the way that they look, the way that they sound. I don't understand why the production people need to make them sound like they've got cotton wool in their mouth when they talk. I just don't get that. And also, they look a little bit silly. I also don't like the modernness of the of the technology. For example, this episode, this last episode, started with them on the holodeck which we never saw until The Next Generation. So it seems to predate, um, it, 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 it doesn't fit in with the predated supposed storyline. So that just frustrates me that they, they didn't take care to keep the technology in check and also things like holographic projections when people are communicating from a distance. Just crazy. Well, I don't disagree with you. I hear where you're coming from, and I feel the same way, but let's just rationalize for a second. So, we know that the Discovery is a prototype ship, right? We know that mm -hmm. from the from the Battle of the Binary Stars to where we are now, it's been six months. Now, one could say that the Discovery, which was a science vessel, and was now has now been conscripted into a, become a war vessel, 
that maybe the technology for the holodeck, this is it in its infancy, and only privileged members of Starfleet, clearly the Discovery members, uh, the, the crew of the Discovery, and the Federation higher brass, maybe they're the only ones that are aware of it. So that Kirk or Pike, who's now captain of the Enterprise, and then 10 years later, Kirk, you know, they, they are not aware that this technology exists. Or maybe they are aware, and they just haven't disclosed it on the original series. Mm. What do you think of that? Yeah, that's a that's a huge tale to tell. You think? Really? <laughs> yeah, I think so. But there's all there's everything else. The look of the ship is too modern. The holographic projections when people communicate, apparently compatible between Klingon and Federation systems, too. You know, I mean, come on. <laughs> no, wait, what do you, what is that last, what do you mean by that last statement? Compatible between Klingon and Federation? Because, yeah, because when the Klingons were communicating with the Federation, they had a holographic projection. Um, and so, you know, how, how is that possible? How are they projecting the captain of the ship into their ship? The, you um, know, their systems have to be compatible somehow, which is which crazy. I, I mean, I, I could call, I'm sure I could call Abu Dhabi right now and on my cell phone, <laughs> and we're not friends with a lot of the Middle Eastern countries, you know? Yeah, but still holographic. Anyway, it just seems out of place. It's, it's, uh, it's that's just the, this thing that still bothers me about the show. But but uh, besides the fact that something bothers me about the show, as I said, I'm enjoying the storyline. It's mm-hmm. it's intriguing. Although I think traveling around the galaxy on spores is a, just a little bit of a crazy idea that seems a little bit implausible. I, mean, I understand that we're talking about a show that has warp drive and transporters, but. I'm just saying, uh, well, but he has one I wanted to one, wanted to say to you, and and I don't know what other people think about this. Mm-hmm. I think that the this this has been bothering me since I saw it, and maybe it's a it's a part of the plot that is going to be revealed later. But when uh, Burnham was on the on the transport shuttle coming towards the Discovery, okay, do you remember how that episode started? It started when they were in the shuttle, right. And then all of a sudden, stuff started appearing on the outside of the shuttle, right, and yes. somebody said, "Oh yeah, these are gonna. It's gonna take up all the all all the power of the ship unless right, it's cleared yes. away." And yes. one of the crew members got out of the ship, and next minute, you saw her flying away. She'd obviously right. lost. Then, they, then that was it. They didn't they didn't continue along with that storyline. Next minute, they they land in on the discovery. So there's a whole part of that story that's missing, and it just they just showed up on the discoveries of nothing had happened, but they actually lost a crew member, <laughs> right? And uh, uh, yeah, okay. So I've got a feeling this this is just me. I've got a feeling that that's a storyline that might explain all of this. They were on the shuttle, and uh, some something happened on their journey, and where they are now is not the original universe or something like that. It's just it's just odd that they never explained the fact that they lost one of the crew members like that in, in such a way that just they just cut to it landing on the on the on the on the discovery. It just seems strange. Yeah, now that you mentioned it, I guess you're right. I'm trying to think. I mean, we, we've had a lot of red shirts <laughs> uh, die on the series, on all of the series in the past, you know, before. Are you saying that the manner in this, the manner in which this crew member dies is why it deserves to be spoken more about? Well, the thing is they they they, <clears throat> they just cut that storyline dead because if you remember how the scene ended, one of the people was screaming, we're all going to die. And, uh, you know, how, how can you cut from a scene where they've just lost, I think there were only two crew members, right? Weren't they piloting the ship? So they've lost the one crew member, 
they've see they've seen this person flying away. What happened to all the stuff, for example, that was eating up the electricity? How did they clear that out? And, I thought they. I thought. You know, well, I got the impression that um, the pilot, the woman who went out, she had, she had succeeded, and then she got uh, her line got severed. I'll have to watch that scene again, but I think I don't think she was successful. Hmm. I think she maybe had only just started. Anyway, maybe. so that is, that's always bothered me. I need to go back and watch and see if she had cleared off those organisms. You, um, well, see now. Here's what I like about the show. This is why. I'm putting all my complaints to rest. I'm going to rationalize that the holograms and the holodeck, which was only used for battle, if they start using the holodeck to re- recreate, you know, Sherlock Holmes and all that stuff, yeah, that's a <laughs> that's a that's a gripe I'm going to have. But I can rationalize that that this is a warship and it has technology that no one else in the Federation is aware of in terms of, you know, the the fleet that's deployed. But I think that what I like about the show is that we're asking these questions. There's a mystery about this show that you'd never gotten any other Star Trek show, I don't think, because yeah. this show is serialized. And it's almost like watching Lost. I think, mm. you know, the appeal to me is the same. And I hope the show ends much better than Lost did. But <laughs> I feel the same excitement like, what? okay, what mystery is going to be thrown at me this week? Now, the, the, the two new conspiracy theories... That kind of makes sense. Um, one, the guest that we're going to have on the next show, she is a member of the of Black Girl Nerds, a very popular podcast, and she is an avid Star Trek fan. And she she feels that the new guy Ash, what's his name, Tyler Ash Tyler, I think his name is. I think so. The guy that was saved by Lorca. Oh yes, he was in he, the Klingon hold. Yeah. That he's actually Vok, the albino Klingon. Oh, okay. Because the woman, uh, I forget, the woman who was Vox's mate or whatever, um, she says you have to sacrifice everything to to regain or something, or to, to, to regain your honor or something like that. Mm. So, and the actor, this was interesting, the actor, uh, she pointed out, has been credited as being in all of the um, Discovery episodes. Oh, really? Ooh, interesting. Interesting, right? The other conspiracy theory I've just heard, which I don't know if I put too much into it, is that this... I made a point in one of the videos, the, the latest videos on, on our YouTube channel, that I didn't know where the title Letha... I'm, that's what I'm calling it, how I'm pronouncing it. I didn't know what that meant. And a number of people pointed out that Letha, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, is the name of a character that appears in the original series. Oh, okay. uh, I think Dagger of the Mind. She plays. Uh, she's in some sort of penal colony, and she's a therapist. Okay. And some people are speculating that uh, Admiral Cornwell, the, the the woman who has an affair with Lorca, is actually going. Since she's been kidnapped by the Klingons, she's going to turn out to be Letha. Interesting. From the original series. Okay. So. Yes, you're right. <clears throat> uh, you're absolutely right about that. I'm just looking at it. Yeah, the Dagger of the Mind, and also. Uh, Letha, or however you say it, was also the name of the Greek spirit of forgetfulness and oblivion. Right. So people are thinking that Cornwell's going to have her, her memory erased, which would make sense because I speculated that uh, I wonder if um, because she became a threat to Lorca taking his ship away, I was thinking he was going to have her done in because at the end of that episode, the camera go uh, wanders ominously to his um, phaser. Mm. So I'm wondering, rather than that happening, maybe this is how 
he keeps his ship because she's going to lose her memory, uh, a memory wipe from the Klingons. Okay. Interesting. So, this is why I like the show. It's got me questioning. It's not obvious. Mm. Whereas other shows, I'm pretty sure, are somewhat obvious and really bad humor. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> anyway. I think you're right. So here we go. Let's talk about let's talk about dis- uh, see. I keep saying discovery, undiscovered country, Star Trek Six. Yes. Um, just some uh, basic information. We talked about this before. Originally, the sixth film was supposed to be a prequel, where we saw the original actors, you know, Shatner, Nimoy, uh, Nichelle Nichols, and and crew. They were um, going to be older in retirement. And we were going to have a flashback, which would, which would comprise most of the movie, of younger people playing those roles. Now, I, I thought that would have been a great idea. I know you and Big Sexy were not too thrilled about that. But here we go. Faced with producing a new film in time for Star Trek's 25th anniversary, Nicholas Meyer, the director of Star Trek II, and Denny Martin Flynn wrote a script based on a suggestion from Leonard Nimoy, who at this point is an accomplished director. He had directed... Three Men and a Baby. He directed uh, the oh the Golden My Year story, I believe. So mm-hmm. he is now an accomplished director. So he had the suggestion about what would happen if the wall came down in space, touching on the contemporary events of the Cold War. Principal t- photography took place between April 16th, 1991 and September 27th, 1991. It was released in North America on December 6th, 1991 posted the largest opening weekend gross of the series before going on to earn $96.8 million worldwide. It earned two Academy Award nominations for Best Makeup and Best Sound Effects. It's the only Star Trek movie to win the Saturn Award for Best Science Fiction Film, so on and so forth. So, Craig, now you have claimed that this is your favorite Star Trek film. Is that Yeah, right? I have. Is that true? Yes, yes, it's true. Tell me why that is. The, I think the reason why I liked it was that there were um, the way that they told the story was more exciting. Uh, it had more really, really good effects that fit in perfectly with the story. And one comes to mind when the the two people you, use the magnetic boots and go onto the Klingon ship and start oh, firing. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's some great, obviously some CGI blood. And I think it, I think it's the first time that we see that Klingon blood is purple. I don't remember if that's the case or not, but I remember thinking that I didn't know that at the time. And uh, just the, the, the storytelling, the, the effects in the show, the, the pace of the story, I, I think especially the pace of the story for me. Uh, I just That's the reason I, th- I thought it was the best one. And the close second definitely is The Wrath of Khan for me. I know people see it the other way around, but I, I see it that that's the reason. Well, I'd say that you know, Star Trek Two is still my favorite, but rewatching this film, this is probably the, I don't know, fourth time, fifth time I've seen it since I first saw it. Um, mm-hmm. The last few times I watched it, I've come to realize that I severely underestimated this film. I remember when it first came out, I took uh, a girl I was dating at the time to see it. She was not really into. She wasn't into Star Trek at all. She and I really weren't. <laughs> didn't belong together at all. We had totally totally different interests she wasn't a nerd like me uh but i i was gonna go see it i told look i'm gonna go see it i promise you you're gonna like it and when i watched it and saw that it really played as a mystery like a film noir almost uh i didn't like that at the time because it it, it wasn't star trek to me i 
everything for me was it had to measure up to Star Trek 2. So I was disappointed in it, and I remember apologizing to her after we left. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But since that time, I have to tell you, I put this movie, it used to be Star Trek 2, my ranking of the original series movies was Star Trek 2, Star Trek 3, Star Trek 1, then 4, 5, and 6. Mm. I'm totally readjusting that after this last wa- watching this last time for the show. It's going to be two, three, then six, because wow. I totally underestimated this movie. I watched it this last time, and I found myself in tears. It really is a wonderful swan song for this original cast, and it, it is so good in, in doing that. I mean, you can even put the story aside. There's so many scenes that are just so uh, touching. When you know that this is the last time we're going to see all of these these actors together on screen, mm. it, it even works. Even if I don't know how to put this, but it doesn't matter what the story even is. It's just seeing these characters together interacting on screen makes this movie a treasure. Mm. And to me, I will say this: I, this may be a bold proclamation, but to me, this movie captures the spirit of the original series, the TV show probably the best of all the films what do you think of that yeah i think so i think it's probably that's probably why i rank it as number one because of the way that they interact with each other um as the crew you're right i i agree with you but there were there were certain aspects of the of this movie that were also cool for example we we had already been watching the next generation by the time this movie came out true and so there we have this connection back to, or forward to the next generation where we have Michael Dorn playing his father as the as uh, Kirk and uh, Bones as lawyer that was cool and Christopher hey, let, let, Plummer let me, let me ask was, you real was, quick let, yeah. let me ask you real quick I noticed that that character's name was Worf as well and which is which is not which is kind of strange isn't it? I understand he's a relative of Worf but they have the same to have the same name yeah I don't understand why that is <laughs> That was weird. Okay, go ahead. Because, I mean, in, in the credits, it just shows him as Klingon defense attorney. So Really? Does it? Yeah. Well, I mean, if you, if you look on IMDb and so on, you'll, you'll see it just says that. Huh. Yeah. And then, as I was going to say, Christopher Plummer's uh, was just an amazing, oh. amazingly cold <laughs> Klingon. You know, this his, yeah, he was, he was just sticking it to Kirk at any, <laughs> any way he could. I mean, listen, first of all, he was practically bald. Right. And when I saw this, I was like, I wonder if that's where they got the idea for the nucleons that we're seeing on Discovery. Mm. But he was practically bald. He had the ponytail on the back. I was drawn into him just from that. It made the, the baldness almost made him look more human. And I mm. and I, I liked that. And the other thing that made me really love that character, I believe when they when they beam in for the first time, the camera is on their feet and you see these guys heels. <laughs> yeah. And you see that cane and then the camera tilts up. This dude has a eye patch welded into his face. He <laughs> he doesn't have a strap. This motherfucker got it welded onto his face. <laughs> I know, right? I I love that about that character. But but go ahead, finish your thought. No, that was it. I I just I just loved his character and uh yeah, as you said it was an intriguing thing cuz you didn't really know what was going on right. until it was revealed. You didn't understand why the Klingon ship was fired upon. You, you thought the people on the Klingon ship were innocent. Meantime, they really weren't. 
yeah, it was it was a pretty pretty well told story. Now I had said that uh, this movie reminds me most of the original series, but what do you think of this? Ironically, the part that when I first said to myself, and this was only after watching it this time, this last time, the middle section where they're in the rural Penthe colony, mm-hmm. I I made a note to myself: this really is the original series right here. Because you had Kirk trying to fight a bigger alien than him and coming away pretty much unscathed. <laughs> you had Kirk macking it down on a fine alien, or what we think is a fine-looking alien. <laughs> right. I, I love Bones' uh, – that was almost meta, the way he uh, – when, when, when uh, what was her name? Martia, I think her name is? Yeah, Martia. It was, Martia. It was Iman. Iman, right. Yeah. Uh, Ms., Ms. David Bowie. Um, yep. When she's – comes to him in the bed and on the bed right and then bones like oh god (laughs) (laughs) i think that was just a meta moment that we that would allow us to laugh i remember the audience roared at that Mm. but um all those elements just made me think that this is the original series now having said that to me it slowed the movie down a lot you know okay i I think it slowed the film down And, and while it was a nice little homage i think to the star trek you know, uh, what I want to say, Elon or spirit. It, it didn't, I felt it was like, let's move this, let's move this on. Cause it really didn't mm-hmm. contribute much to the plot. Would you say that, that whole scene, it didn't really, you could have cut all that out because, and, and the part I really didn't like, which was very sitcommy to me is when the warden is like, Oh, well, since you're going to die, I will tell you right. who the people are. It was, and then they beam out. Yeah, I was like, that was kind of sitcommy. <laughs> uh, what, what, I mean, do you agree that if you got rid of that middle part, even though it was a nice little homage to the original series, I felt it wouldn't have mattered. Uh, no, I think it, I think we should have had it in there. Uh, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the the whole part of that. But there were there were a couple of plot holes that I had to have to say something about. One yeah, is sure. one is when when Kirk is walking up the bridge. To go and uh, to beam onto the Klingon ship, you know, a, a Spock puts the the transmitter on him. Right. I mean, come on, you're gonna you're gonna take people to court and then put them on a a planet without changing their clothes and not seeing that there's something stuck to him. It just that was a little bit silly. Oh, but they didn't. But they didn't change clothes, did they? I know exactly. No, they didn't. Oh, you're saying they should have noticed it? Yeah, I mean, and plus, why wouldn't they change clothes? They they're gonna do that whole thing where they take him to trial and then they take him to a planet and they, and they still haven't changed their clothes. I mean, is it all on the same day? Seems well, like it must be, but I, I I, I, you just don't think. That didn't bother me because if you remember, um, ah, well, if you, if you ever saw the movie, the hurricane with Denzel Washington, <laughs> when he goes to jail, he, he doesn't change clothes for the first month. I think he's there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I will say, but to your point, that's because he refuses to, and they throw him in solitary until he decide until he decides to change his clothes. Oh, okay, but I, I, I that doesn't I could I could go with that. You know, to me it's torture to keep him in the same clothes. I mean, I want I like a fresh change of shirt. Right. Know? I can also imagine. Uh, obviously, this is not true, but I can just imagine. You know, William Shatner is like, all right, now who who do we uh, who do I want to kiss in this movie? Oh, Iman, yeah, she's hot. Let let's bring her on here. We didn't make a part for her. Speaking of that. <laughs> Why does it have to be the black woman that offers Kirk some weed? Why? Why? <laughs> Why? <laughs> uh, yeah. 
what was that? She, she says, this will keep you warm. I'm like, what? They're smoking ganja now. What? That's what we're doing? <laughs> but, yep, um, yeah. Uh, I was going to say, um, the thing for me that really won me over watching this movie this time, I don't. and Craig, I don't know why I didn't see this before. To me, Leonard Nimoy steals the show on this movie. Hands mm. down, Spock steals the show. There is one scene, the audience, when I saw this film, the audience roared at this scene. It's one shot, right? Spock is at a microscope and Chekhov is in the lab with him and they're like, uh, okay, now we, Spock says, Okay, now we will expand our search to uniforms. And Chekhov says, all uniforms? And Spock raises up as if to say, what the f*** is wrong with you? (laughs) You you remember the shot I'm talking about, right? I do, yeah. Basically, this whole movie is like Chekhov's getting sunned. (laughs) Because there's another scene, oh, where uh, Chekhov thinks he's a badass with the boots and he says... uh, they call in the two crew, mem- the, the crew member where they found the killer's clothes. Right. And he says, well, if the shoes fit or something like that. And then he <laughs> slams them on the, they found the gravity boots and he slams them on right. the wall. And Spock looks at Chekhov like, and points down at the guy's feet. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I remember that. That was funny. Spock is just on, he's just on it. I love the way when, um, oh, uh, they're in the, they're in the, the galley. And I have a nitpick about this, which we'll get to later. They're in the galley. And uh, um, Scotty, oh, no, they're on the bridge, I think. Scotty walks in, right? And he says, ah, Mr. Scott. And he says, please inform Starfleet that the warp drive is disabled. Something like that. And Scotty says, disabled? No, Captain. No, no, Mr. Spock. It's not disabled. And then Spock looks at Scotty. If we go back to, to Starbase, that means we will never see Captain Kirk or Dr. McCoy again. <laughs> and he just, the way he says it, I mean, I want to see a show where Spock was captain. I really do. <laughs> I mean, what do you, the, the, I mean, he was my favorite thing about this this movie. Yeah, I know what you mean about that. I don't know if it was my, I don't know if he was my favorite thing about the movie, but I think you're right that they played up his Vulcanness a lot. And he did it very well. No question. Well, you know, um, I am now reading, well, I'm, I've downloaded the audiobook, and I highly recommend it. Uh, Leonard Nimoy's I Am Spock. I'm uh, listening to that now. It starts off a little tedious because he, um, he does this thing where he, he writes um, these little dialogues between himself and Spock. And in the beginning, it gets a little tedious. As it goes okay. along, it gets much more interesting and dramatic. And plus, listening to Nimoy read his book. It's you know you can't beat that because mm. you're hearing because he plays Spock as well so it's 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 unbelievable I highly recommend it but he says in that book that there are two scenes that stand out for him and I highly agree with him he says um, one of the scenes and I'm paraphrasing he said that he felt that the scene where they're in um, sick bay and they set a trap for the conspirator on on the Enterprise and spoiler alert it turns out to be Valeris. Is a scene where uh, he shows a lot of emotion. He he gets up, he says, uh, "You have to shoot. If you want to be logical, you have to shoot." And she says, "I don't want to." And he says, "He then he raises up, and he you can tell this is a supposed to be an emotionless Vulcan, but he has emotion. He says, "What you want or don't want is irre- is irrelevant." And then he mm-hmm. smacks that thing out of the phaser out of her hand, and 
the camera stays on him for a little bit, and you can tell I've never seen Spock like that. Mm. And he said that he wanted to play it that way because he had a lot of control over this film. With uh, He worked with Nicholas Meyer on this film. He wanted to play it that way because he felt like um, after the events of Star Trek Four in particular, he felt like Spock is now at peace with his um, Vulcan-human duality. Mm-hmm. And that Spock would be fine showing emotion where appropriate, and he felt it was appropriate that his protege would betray him like this. Mm. So, okay, an excellent scene. And then you, you can guess the other scene, right? Tell me. It's a scene that follows the where he forcibly mind melds with Valeris. Ah, uh, yes. He said that was one of his favorite scenes to play as Spock. And it, there are a lot of details I, I don't remember. I didn't take notes, but um, I wanted to ask you if you recall. I seem to recall when that when the movie first came out, there were people, critics, maybe fans as well, who equated that scene with a rape scene. Mm. What What are your thoughts on that? Um, I can see people thinking that because it's a, it's a a violation of one person into another person's mind without their permission, right? Because he just, yeah. he just does it. But yeah, okay, I, I can see that. And the way uh, Kim Cattrall plays it, and it's interesting. This might be common knowledge, but they wanted um, Lieutenant Savick to be the foil. They wanted, uh, I don't know if they were going to bring back Robin Curtis or Kirstie Alley. I think Kirstie Alley probably was done with Star Trek at that point. Mm. So I'm going to assume they wanted Robin Curtis to come back, but uh, she didn't, obviously. That scene, if you look at that, it's really chilling because she starts to scream, mm. and it really has a resonance. And yeah. you can hear you can hear Spock's voice. He he's he's pained by having to do that. Mm. And then in a in a subsequent scene, there's a scene where he, a Kirk walks in, and to his chambers, and Spock is laying on the bed in his white his white robe that he's that he was buried in, right? Or that he. <laughs> That he was revived in in Star Trek, what is it, three, I guess it is? Mm-hmm. Nimoy says that when he utters the line, he says something like, is it possible that we have grown so old and inflexible as to have out, worn out our usefulness? Yeah. Yep. Nimoy says that he thinks that line was the period, the end of, that. that was the moment when he felt the same way he felt when Spock died in Star Trek Two, hmm. he felt like this was the end. That that was the end of the character, and he was sad to see the character go. Mm. Now, of course, we all know. I guess he had a mortgage to pay because he appeared twice <laughs> in those <laughs> god awful J.J. Abrams re- remakes. But um, when he read that, literally, I, I, tears came into my eyes because I was like, "Wow, you know, hearing this man who's passed on and is so iconic." And, you know, I, I when I was going through my notes, I came across your photo that you took with him. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, man, okay, wh- why am I crying? <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> that, that scene is just emblematic of what makes this movie so, such a great, I'm going to say it again, swan song. And, and Nimoy and I are on the same page, I guess. But I don't want to monopolize. Right. So what I wanted to say, though, is when, when you started this off, you explained how the, the Star Trek VI was supposed to be the handoff movie handing it off to a younger crew and then the idea was that this younger crew the younger versions of them would would play star trek seven eight nine and so on right. and i'm really glad that they never did that i really am because 
this movie was so much better than just some flashback storyline. Um, uh-huh. I'm, I'm just very grateful they never did that. And cause I didn't, even though star Trek six was the last star Trek with the original crew, it just sort of didn't feel like it. Whereas if it was a story about the, with flashbacks, it would be from the beginning of the movie. You're looking at these people who aren't going to be playing themselves anymore. You know, they were and they, and they wouldn't have played themselves throughout the whole film. It would have just been flashbacks. So I'm just glad that they went with a storyline instead. Yeah, I, I could see that. Um, I, you know, I'm glad they didn't do that now because I have a new appreciation for this film. However, I guess to be clear to the audience and to you as well, I don't necessarily want to see any other char- actors playing these characters. But I guess maybe I wanted to see, I would have been willing to see a prequel or some sort of Star Trek film where we see what life was like in the Academy. You know, mm. maybe it shouldn't have been, maybe it shouldn't have been Kirk or, and Bones and Spot because as has been proven, at least to me, by the Abrams reboots, you should not try to have anyone else play these characters because it's just not going to work, at least not for me. Yeah. But um, I kind of wish that Kirk had not appeared in Generations uh, because to okay. me it cheapens what he accomplished in this <clears throat> film. I, I didn't really need to see Kirk die. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah, I didn't need to see Kirk die. That was It, it was unnecessary. I don't... I don't understand why the movie studio, or the directors, or the writers, or whoever wanted Kirk to die to to make a, st- a good story. I, I don't even know the backstory about why they did that. It didn't make we we didn't need to see him die for sure. Well, I can only assume that they did that to to make to make something feel final, to make it feel like okay, we are now officially in the TNG land. You know, it's, the movies are now. TNG, no one, we can't hold hope that Kirk might appear, even though it's science fiction. Well, like, no, but the, but the yeah. thing is that they then they would need to kill off all of the characters because, you know, Spock was still alive, Bones, Scotty, they're all in the un- Star Trek universe, they're still alive. It's just Kirk that's not there. Yeah. Just, yeah, it's it was it was stupid. Although, like I say, I mean, they, they could, if it's too late now, but they could have easily have written something to revive him because he was in the nexus after all so um he could have in the a part of him could still have been in the nexus if you think about it they could have written the storyline that way and if you i don't know if you read any of william shatner's books but in his books he revives himself oh yeah yeah so then that sounds appropriate doesn't it (laughs) but he did it in a very clever way um he did yeah he did a very clever way and actually in his books he uh, even though his books are not canon, but he talks about the precursor to the holodeck in the in the in his stories. Right. He talks about how they do it, where they're wearing essentially a full body suit that's pressing up against them and to to simulate different stuff, and they're wearing a headset. So um, that's why for me to see the the holodeck in Star Trek Discovery, just to go back to that and seeing how it's already there, where in his stories which I read. He's talking about something in his time when when Kirk was around that was not the holodeck, but it was a precursor to it. It was right. what they were experimenting with ahead of time. But many people may not have read that, and certainly not canon. I just, you know, from, hmm. in my mind, it's in there. Interesting, interesting. But now, real quick, explain. But how does that revive him? How does that explain how he's revived? Well, in his, in his book, he writes about how he gets revived. Um, I think he, if I remember correctly, he gets picked up by his body, gets beamed out of the grave. 
uh-huh. on the planet. I don't understand why they buried him on that planet, but anyway, right. in the yeah, in the story, he's on the planet and uh, he gets beamed out, and then he wakes up, um, I think, in a Borg, uh, basically trash yard where he's floating around. And but he, he's and dead. The, how did he wake up? I don't remember how they. I don't okay. remember. It's been a long time since I read that book, but he he somehow he's he's alive. He's been revived somehow, or he's been cloned, or something to that effect. So I bet somebody listening knows exactly what I'm talking about. It's probably, you know, <laughs> face palming right now. Come on, you don't remember? <laughs> anyway, he he somehow comes comes back to life, or he's cloned, and his clone is back to life, or something. Right. Anyway, yeah. Kind of like Will Riker and Tom Riker, I guess. Could be, yeah. So all right, um, I just had a couple notes. I'd just love to get your thoughts on them, um, in, in generally in, in regards to the film. We have yet a new musical theme, which I didn't really like too much. I think it was very ins- uninspired. What would you think of the, the new music? Well, I haven't watched the movie for a while, so I'm actually not remembering it now. But um, I, don't, I don't remember being put off by it. But you remember the Star Trek theme from the first one, right? From the first film, Yes. Right? You remember yeah, the which... second one, right? Yes. <laughs> there you go. Okay. <laughs> and, you know, like I said earlier, we were talking, we've been talking about Discovery a lot. And it was good to see the old Klingons again, I have to say. <clears throat> and I felt like I was going home, you know? Yep. I like the fact that, again, there were a lot of uh, double entendre in the film that talks about, um, that speaks to the fact that, you know, this is the end of an era. There's a scene where uh, Spock and Valeris are in Spock's chambers, and Spock refers to a piece of art that he has called Expulsion from Paradise. Um, it sets the tone for the broader scope of this movie. You know, the way I took it was, you know, this again, this is the end. Um, we're being expelled from the Star Trek <laughs> that we know, if you will. You know, it was a metaphor for saying goodbye to this crew. And it's all the more ironic given what happens to Valeris. Oh, now, here's some questions I had. So Sulu says in his log, when we first see Sulu on the Excelsior, mm-hmm. he said, oh, this is the, at the beginning. When Praxis explodes, or one of the moons of Praxis explodes. Yeah. Uh, he says in his log that they're heading home at impulse speed. But then when the energy wave approaches the ship, he orders the helmsman to go to impulse into the energy wave. Oh. Uh, which I thought was <laughs> okay. weird. Hmm. When I first heard the title of this movie, I thought it was very uh, boring and uninspired. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. Star Trek, Wrath of Khan, you know, Search for Spock, uh, Voyage Home, Voyage Home, you know, it it, it speaks to, uh, you know what is going to happen. It's going to be possibly an adventure. The Undiscovered Country, an allusion to Shakespeare. What do you think when you first heard that? Uh, well, it was a long time ago, but uh, I, I remember thinking I didn't understand what the what it would be about. But of course, once you watch the story, it's it's the undiscovered country um, after basically the Cold War. So um, you know, I, I saw it that way. It's this this new thing that people don't don't necessarily want to be part of. Well, yeah, I mean, there is a literal explanation. I mean, Kirk pretty much explains it in the last scene mm. when they're in the uh, Federation Council. But uh, you know, as a movie title. It just doesn't do it for me. However, when um, David Warner, who we, let's not overlook him. David Warner is a brilliant actor. I remember him from time after time. He played Jack the Ripper. He's played other stuff. Oh, he wasn't he in, um, what was that movie? The, the Kubrick film. Ah, uh, it was a, 
Uh, Clockwork Orange. I believe he was in that as well. Oh, really? Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I love that movie. I think, I don't quote me on that, but he's only in this film for, what, 15, 20 minutes? Mm-hmm. But, man, he commands the screen in all the makeup and everything. Mm. He commands the screen. When you first see him, you, you I felt like I'm, this is a powerful man, uh, Chancellor Gorkon. And yes. the way he says, he, he gives a toast. He says, to the undiscovered country. The way he says it, I'm like, all right, yeah, okay, you got me. <laughs> undiscovered country it is. The way he says that, I'm like, wow. Mm. Excellent performance. When he grabs Kirk by the head and says, he's laying on that table, and he says, don't let it end this way. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I need to see more of this guy. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, this is the, the other, that scene reminds me that this is the, this is the scene I thought was a was a plot hole. What's that? Is that, how can Bones not understand how to save a Klingon? It just, uh, it just seems a little bit, unbelievable that right. he wouldn't know the like, anatomy of a Klingon. Like <laughs> so well, that, that's why, why do you feel that way? Because how, how would, uh, how would he not know the anatomy of a Klingon? Because they've, out of all the years that Starfleet had been in existence, they had been interacting with the Klingons and surely they came across Klingons before, or they sent a spy in to learn about the Klingons. It just seemed, too convenient to say that he couldn't save Gorkon because he didn't know how the anatomy worked. Anyway, that was just my one other, my second complaint. Wow. See, I could, okay. I could see you having the complaint that, uh, well, I, I don't know that all of the Starfleet doctors on starships, maybe some of them did know, uh, Klingon anatomy, maybe, but maybe bones never studied it. Maybe, Isn't that maybe, because yeah, all of the interactions they had with Klingons going back to the series were not friendly. <laughs> so, right, I don't know. Maybe, you know, they considered Kirk. I mean, what's his name? Chang. He he knew Kirk by name. He made it clear that Kirk is notorious throughout the Klingon Empire. Mm-hmm. So maybe people on his ship just were never privy on Kirk's ship were never privy to Klingon anatomy. I, I don't know. I, yeah, I, I can let that go. Okay. But I, I, I respect the fact that it was a problem for you. <laughs> now, I want to talk a little bit about that dinner scene. Mm. That also one of the best scenes of the film because everyone is so stately and everyone is so regal. And, you know, when they when they first meet and you, you, you see and this is what Gene Roddenberry complained about. Let me go back a little bit. We talked about this in a previous uh, episode. Gene did not like the fact that. Star Trek VI posited that the Federation, they were the the curmudgeons, if you will. They were the stubborn ones. They were, quote-unquote, the antagonists. Whereas Gorkhan, he was the, the olive branch, if you will. And Gene didn't like the Federation being portrayed that way. So when you get to that dinner scene, it, it really is uncomfortable. And it, I liked the fact that it was the Klingon Chancellor who was who, who was the bigger man, if you will, whereas the Starfleet officers were kind of like looking at the food and like, oh, what is this? And, you know, <laughs> being very, being very, uh, you know, ob- obdurate, you know? Uh, yeah. What, what are your thoughts on that scene? I didn't, uh, I didn't take it that way, really. I, I think we knew that Kirk did not want to 
be be there because of the fact they killed his son and so on. So and and you, and he didn't trust them. But I, I think that I I watched that scene and I thought they were just not enjoying the food because they had never eaten it before. And uh, the Klingons being a race that would eat would have eaten that food and would eat would have eaten human food. They were fine with it. So I just I just saw it as that they were trying their best, but they just couldn't they couldn't stomach it. And, well, you know, and and Chang he kind of was an instigator as well. He he was kind of picking at Kirk, you know, uh, yeah. a little bit. But you know, you do think that, and don't get me wrong, I like the way the scene was played. But you do get you do feel like the the Enterprise crew you don't see them at their best. Yeah. You know, and of course uh, Chang was uh, throwing out some some poetry that was you know. It's, it's it's heard best in Klingon, the original yeah, Klingon. Right, right. <laughs> Which is ironic because Spock, for that scene, he says uh, an old Vulcan proverb, you know, only Nixon can go to China. Yeah. So there was a lot of uh, Earth material thrown into alien cultures for whatever It was, reason. yeah. You know? I, you know, the other part that really, that, there are two other things that I could kind of see where Gene's coming from. One of them Gene didn't comment on, um at least no one has a recorded that I've heard uh, have it on record that he commented on. But I thought it was really, I, I, I like the scene, but I thought it was really in bad taste that when the Klingons are, um, when Gorkhan is talking to Kirk about, you know, Captain, we've proven with this dinner, I'm paraphrasing, that we have a long way to go. And then they, they, sh- they cut to a shot of Kirk looking up at Gorkhan like, eh whatever <laughs> and then when they're beaming out Kirk kind of yawns and rubs his face <laughs> right <laughs> I'm like come on Kirk I mean I, I wouldn't change it but I'm like damn man come on <laughs> and then at the, the scene after that did you see how they were eating and mm. uh, it, it was uh, it was imperfect Starfleet but I think it worked because just like with Discovery th- no one's perfect you know what I mean? No one is mm. is perfect. It was off putting to me as an audience member, but that's the way they. I thought it was written perfectly. Mm. But I think it, it, because it was it was a metaphor for the ending of the Cold War. You, you, I think when you watch that movie, you can imagine that even the good guys don't want that to be the case. They, right. they, they, they don't want to live with these people who've been attacking them all this time so i i understood that and then uh one a note that i have was that um you know the movie is very timely for today when uh as burr that is gorgon's daughter she claims that the federation is guilty of racism against the klingon so, someone i think it was bones says something um you know Feder- the federation represents oh yeah uh bones gets a little testy and says because one of the Klingons says, all, all you guys are going to do is subvert us and violate our principles. And Bones says, no way. The, the Federation is uh, a beacon, is one of the, is a standard of human excellence or something like that. And Azabur says, human, human. Uh, that is so, it's so racist of you to say that. Mm. And I just thought, wow. Whoever, uh, I forget who wrote this film, but um, they, it was really timely. You know, yeah, I, I right. can see that. I can see that conversation taking place today. Mm-hmm. Um, but now here's some some things um, I wanted to see what, if you could explain to me. So, if you recall, when the the two killers they assassinate Gorkhan, then they go back onto the transporter pad. Why did they take the time to turn around? 
Did you notice I never, that? I did. I, I never thought of that, actually. It was, um, I was like, okay, well, we have to turn around so that we... Because they beamed back to the Enterprise. Right. So I'm like, well, okay, what difference does it make? <laughs> the other question I have was, in the president's office, when, they, when they're showing... I guess that take, that was in San Francisco, at, uh, the Federation, the Federation president. You know, the guy with the white mustache and beard and played by yeah. um, Kurtwood Smith, I think his name is. There's a Romulan in the office. So how do how does that how does that happen? Because in the 24th century, uh, the Romulans are the enemy of the Federation. Right. Were they enemies? Now, I love TOS, but I'm not as familiar with it in terms of the all the trivia weren't they enemies in the, the original series as well i thought they were i'd have to go back and check i thought they were the enemies as well but yeah, so there's, yeah there's a romulan he looks like he looks like the guy who plays on um who does voice work on the simpsons i can't think of his name but um mm. i just thought oh another thing i noticed was uh there's a quick shot when Kirk and Bones are walking down the descending into the penal colony. They pass this alien who I swear is Greedo. He looks just like Greedo from Star Wars. <laughs> he's got he's green, he has the snout. Another question I had was there's a scene in the galley where I guess it was just for str- dramatic structure where Chekhov says, um, why didn't they just vaporize the um, the gravity boots or whatever? Yeah. And uh, Valera says she goes to a wall panel in the galley and pulls out a phaser and shoots <laughs> <laughs> shoots a pot that this schmuck of a cook is working in. <laughs> Why do they have phasers in the galley? Uh, yeah, I know what you mean. It's uh, And also, why did the, well, again, dramatic effect, but why didn't the phaser vaporize everything? Why not just? Why did it just vaporize the pot and leave the chicken or whatever they were cooking it? You know, you know what I mean. <laughs> and and I'm sure we've seen a scene in one of the movies or the original series where a phaser's gone off. There wasn't an alarm. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't. I mean, I'm assuming that phaser was an authorized phaser. So why did the alarm go off? Hmm. Well, I think it's unauthorized firing of a phaser that there was the problem. So. Well, who has time to go and authorize? <laughs> <laughs> All right. I also like the fact that uh, you know, maybe I, I, I like to think that maybe uh, Iman's character, Martia, mm-hmm. she's maybe a um, an offshoot of Odo's race. Ah, uh, okay. Nine, because she's you know she can change her shape. What is Odo's race? Do you remember? They are. Uh, I don't know. I if they have a name, I don't recall what it is. I think they're just called changelings. Uh, they're called. Hmm. The, they're called. The names I know they go by changeling Camelloid or something. Oh well, that's that is um, that is the alien species that Martia is Camelloid. Yes. Right, right. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm doing some quick research to see if uh, uh, she is actually part of the Samurai. I never I never thought of that. That's that's a good catch. I doubt she is because uh, Odo's race they have a very particular look, and she doesn't unless oh, yeah. unless she just didn't show. Because when they get in the elevator and this big, ugly alien turns to Kirk and says, meet me at the meet us at the beacon. And Kirk's like, I kissed that thing. (laughs) (laughs) So out of who knows, maybe maybe she is and we never really see her true shape. Mm. Okay. I also read somewhere that Nichelle Nichols hated the scene where um, she 
and other crew members are struggling with the Klingon language, looking through books, which is mm-hmm. weird that they're looking through books. Right. To try to translate because she felt like after all the years of being on the Enterprise that she would have some skill as a xenolinguist, that she should be smart enough that she would know, to your point about Bones and, and the uh, anatomy of a Klingon, that she should be able to get through speaking to someone just to get a ship through, uh, what do you call it, a ship through... Um, like a uh, checkpoint or whatever. Checkpoint, yeah. yeah. Mm. She, she, should, she, she did not like that scene. Yeah, that's actually true. You're right that she should have she she was she it actually should have been her scene where she sat down and um, came up with something to say back to them. You're right, right. but it it was very funny the way they played it. And uh, apparently, this was the time when uh, the Klingon language was actually invented was in was in that scene. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because um, James Doohan came up with the Klingon language in that scene. Uh, for that scene, because they, no one had spoken actual Klingon in a Star Trek TV show or movie until that point. Interesting. So, um, You're saying uh, mm. James Doohan? What did he? He just came up with some words to say, or some? Yeah, I think so. That, um, maybe I need to go back and uh, do some research, but I, I could have sworn that's in my memory that I read it somewhere. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, the last thing I'll say is um, this, the the second person who steals the show from me. Sulu, mother f-ing Sulu. Oh, <laughs> uh, that I don't know if I want to serve under him because he's kind of like he was. He was kind of like Lorca. <laughs> don't right. f- up around Sulu. Uh, <laughs> the, the the scene I remember in the movie theater, uh, Christian Slater. Sulu tells uh, Slater's character, uh, "Tell tell Starfleet that uh, we're having problems. We don't know where the Enterprise is located." And he's he just says. Sir, Sulu gets up and is like, you having hearing problems, mister? I'm like, oh, <laughs> sh- don't f*** with Sulu. <laughs> but isn't it true that the reason that um, Sulu is not on the Enterprise is because he just absolutely refused to work with Shatner? And, uh, and so, and so they, to get him in the movie, they had to put him on a separate ship. And apparently they didn't even film their scenes together. They just, uh, you know, when when Sulu was had to interact with Kirk, I think near the end or something, where they were yeah. talking to each other, he they, they didn't actually weren't even on the set together. Well, so. I want to say two things about that. Thanks for ruining that camaraderie for me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that, because I was watching. I, I you know it's funny. I went to Hulu on my laptop just to just to clarify something I wanted to bring up on on the show, and I started watching the film at the point where. Um, Oh, it was something to do with the scene where Spock slaps the, the phaser out of Laris's hand. And I got so engrossed with it that I, I watched it to the end. And when it got to the to the scene where um, thank, he says, where, where Spock, uh, Spock, where Kirk and Sulu are talking, captain to captain, I got tears in my eyes again. And you just ruined that. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, that, it's, it's well known. It really yeah, is I, well known. And uh, I remember there was a, um, you know, in the comedy... In Comedy Central, they do roasts. Yeah, and uh, they roasted Shatner the one time, and and uh, wow, Walter Koenig, he he just went ballistic in there. He's <laughs> Walter Koenig he, or 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 um. I'm sorry. What's his name? Why am I, why am I drawing a blank? You know, I'm drawing. Uh, I'm, Su- Su- Sulu is George yeah, Takei. George Takei. Yeah, he he went ballistic. If you if you ever see that roast of Shatner, oh man, it was. I understand. You could just feel his absolute. Visceral anger 
when he was when he was speaking. Wow. Well, you know, I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I got to tell you now. I, I I take it that William Shatner was, and if he's listening, I, I'm just saying what I've heard. I'm not saying it's true or not, but I it's my understanding that you know he had sort of an ego on the set. He would take lines from other characters. He 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 would. He, he didn't like it if other people got too much shine on the show. I don't know if that's true or not, but it seems like that's a theme. But I would say that, and I love George Takei, if he's listening. I love him. I follow him on Twitter. It does seem like he's taking this feud a bit far. Mm. And, I you know, I don't know if, if Shatner knew that he was bitter. Because I think the, the roast guests, they get to approve... Who, don't they get to see who's going to be roasting them? Or yeah, I'm not sure how that works. Yeah, me either. But that's some, I think that's in bad taste. But in any in any rate, I, I did know that there was a feud between them, and that what you tell the story you tell me, uh, it it does have the the resonance of truth. But you know, it doesn't surprise me whether they were feuding or not that their scenes would be filmed separately through the view screen. Mm. That is an attestment, is that, if that's a word, to how great of an actor, how great they are as actors because the the love between the two of them it's it, to me it was electric in that moment and then to hear uh sulu say it was great to see you in action one more time captain kirk again tears mm. came to my eyes when i saw you know so ah i don't want to hear that <laughs> yeah by the way i'm just gonna revise my thing about james Doohan and the klingon language he did he did invent it but i'm not sure it was in star trek 6 it was much earlier because if you know even when I was saying it to you earlier, I thought to myself, but hold on, the next generation had been on TV for a while. Uh-huh. So he did it at some in, during some earlier movie, I think. But it definitely started with him, and then, then other people took it and they fleshed it out. Well, the first time we hear the Klingon language is in Star Trek motion picture, am I correct? I believe. Maybe, so maybe that's where he did it. Hmm. I, don't have, I don't have time to research it, but yes, yeah, so it's, it probably isn't that, that far back. So, so not, not, it's not that far forward in time. Right. He probably did it in the, in the motion picture. Yes. And then the the la- the the other scene with Sulu that I love is um <laughs> when they when they're flying to Kittimer and the helmsman's uh, the uh, uh, Sulu says, "Hurry, we got to get there." And, and the helmsman says, uh, "She'll fly apart." <laughs> He's like, "Well, fly her apart then." <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's very good. That, that's that's awesome. Yeah, this uh, movie we see clips from this movie. In a Voyager episode, right? The one with, yeah. the, with Tuvok, the Tuvok-centric episode. Yeah, isn't that where... Yeah, you're right. Because, of course, he, he appears on the Excelsior, right? And, right. But he's not, a, he's not a Vulcan there. Obviously, in that, at that stage, he wasn't a Vulcan. But they, well, no. Did... Tuvok, as, Tuvok, if you follow the events of Voyager, I think the episode was called Flashback. He, he is a Vulcan on the Excelsior. Oh, okay. But, okay. I don't remember that. Yeah, um, that was that was the whole basis because through a mind meld, he brings Captain Janeway onto the Excelsior, right? Where he's serving. Mm-hmm. Now, unfortunately, and clearly, we, they can't retcon that film. They can't do a George Lucas. I'm glad they didn't do a George Lucas where they go back to Star Trek Six and put him in in a walking across the frame shot or something like that. But no, if you look at the Voyager flashback, uh, it's clear that he's on the Excelsior as Tuvok. I know that I know that he was on because obviously Voyager was filmed 
much later than Star Trek sure. Star Trek Six. But I, I could have sworn that he didn't have Vulcan ears. And so, uh, again, I'm going by memory, but I think in the flashback he explains that he was undercover, and which is why he, hmm. he didn't have the ears. So because that that essentially explains the the fact that he was there in the first place. Because obviously, what what I was going to say to you is obviously. In Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, he hadn't been cast as Tuvok yet, so he was just a random crew member. But then when they did the story tie-in, they really tied it in nicely where they explained that, yes, it is actually Tuvok that's actually on that ship. So I, I remember really really being impressed with that episode. That's not – I don't remember that at all. I, I, I remember him saying that he served under Captain Sulu as Tuvok, that he wasn't undercover. The only time I remember Tuvok being undercover, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but um, he was undercover with the Maquis before mm. they boarded Voyager. But okay, we'll we'll check that out. I think we we need to definitely research that and come back and and uh, on the next episode and bring it up. Well, this will be our our new course correction for the next episode. That's right. <laughs> uh, just a couple other questions. Um, so when the Enterprise approaches Kittimer and Chang appears in the bird of prey that can fire while cloaked. And I love the way Sulu says, surely not. <laughs> but um, <laughs> when they're attacking the Enterprise the, and the Enterprise's shields are up, it seems like there's a lot of damage. That's, <laughs> it still is happening, even though the shields are up. Did you notice that? <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. It's like, to your point, <laughs> there are fireworks all over the bridge, but the shields are up. What's going on here? But actually, maybe they didn't put the shields up, right? But no, because, no, but Scotty says at some point, she's packing a wallop, Captain. Uh, shields are weakening. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it was mm-hmm. weird. And the last thing I said, I'm going to say is a nitpick of mine is, you know, you got a, you got a full complimented uh enterprise we're not a, comp- a full complement is on staff on the enterprise and uh spock turns to bones and says excuse me doctor would you care to do surgery on a torpedo for me i'm like don't you have don't you have any crewmen that can do that <laughs> why is the first officer and the medical officer going to work on a torpedo <laughs> yeah i know what you mean you interesting know. yeah so let's let's um let's summarize uh, our feelings about Star Trek Six. I'll, I'll let you go first. Okay, I uh, still think it's the best Star Trek movie. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure anybody will change their mind unless they have uh, William Shatner coming back in another Star Trek movie, which is in set in the original series timeline. But uh, I still enjoy it, and uh, I'll, I'll, I, if, if I get a chance to watch it, it, I'll watch it. Well, you know, it's interesting. I, something else just came to mind. You say that, and I, I don't begrudge you this, you say that this is the best Star Trek movie, and, and now that I ha- can appreciate it, I could see someone saying that. I, I I don't agree. And what I find interesting is that why, one of the reasons I still like Star Trek II better is because Star Trek II has a, maybe this is not why I like it better, but what's interesting, Star Trek II has a, a, a clear villain, a pro- uh, antagonist. Hmm. Now, I say that to say what makes Star Trek VI brilliant is that there is no villain, per se. You know what I mean? Right. The, the villain is a conspiracy or a, a, a cable of conspirators in this film. Right. Yeah. The main villain truly is an existential one, and that is the fear of change. That's the villain in this movie. Yeah, you're right. It um, is. 
I mean, you could say Chang is a villain, but he really is only in the film, what, 10 minutes, 15 minutes? Mm. So you got to really give it to the writers that there was no clear. I mean, it, it really speaks to the fact that this is like a film noir. You don't know who the bad guys are until they're, quote unquote, in traditional, you know, Hitchcockian or thriller cinema until the villains are unmasked. Mm. Um, that reminds me, Craig, do you have any knowledge off the top of your head? There's a scene where a Kling, where Scotty shoots the Klingon at the end and he falls down. He, he gets shot and falls through the glass and hits the ground. Oh, yeah. And they unmask him. And I forget who's under the mask. But it's, yeah, I forget I, not to. I seem to recall that they added that scene for some reason. You don't you have any memory of that? No, no memory of that. I don't remember who, who was under there. Yeah, but it, it, they, I think they didn't want the Klingons to be so. He was unmasked. I, I can't remember. We'll have to pick that up in another episode. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Or if anyone remembers for sure, please uh, leave us leave it in the comments. I ha I watched this movie two weeks ago for the show, and we we had to delay, so I've forgotten a lot of things. Mm. But I'm sure someone will let us know. So, yeah, I have to say, I have to issue my mea culpas. I hated this movie when I first saw it. Well, I'm not going to say hate. That's a strong word. I didn't like it. But now that I have grown to love Star Trek even more through watching TNG, Voyager, and now DS9, and watching the movie again, I can appreciate what this film really was saying to me. It was about change. It was about change on the level of the films that we we're going to see a new crew, which was, I don't know if that's more heartbreaking for me than the other level of change this movie talks about in, is being how people, us as humans, we fear change. Mm. You know, uh, so it speaks on so many different levels. I think it's one of the my most favorite performances by Nimoy as Spock. Eh, Nimoy put in some good stuff in um, TNG as well. Mm. And um, so I, I got to say, this is my third favorite Star Trek film. <laughs> it used to be, let me say, it's my third favorite of the TOS films. Okay. It used to be my sixth, but it, 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 it's gone up to my third. So, mm. So there you have it, people. Now, Craig, you, you want to say something? No, I was just going to say at the end, of course, Shatner reads the the ending credits, you know, where no man, no one has gone before. And he talks about how they're handing it off to a new crew. You know, he actually yes. says it in the dialogue and so right. on. So that was that was very sad. I'm quite sure I shed a tear at the end of that movie when I was sitting through the credits. And when you see the signatures come on screen mm. and then even there's a little pause before Leonard Nimoy, as it should be. <laughs> I, I love my sister Nichelle, but come on, you know she got some shine. But there should have been a little pause for Leonard Nimoy, and then there was an even bigger pause for William Shatner because people, let's just face it. I might—I have said this before. I'm gonna say it again, correct? I might say that Picard is my favorite captain, but that's only because I'm excluding Kirk. He stands mm -hmm. alone. What I'm gonna say this right here now: if not for William Shatner. Star Trek would not be where it is. I agree. I said it. <laughs> we all know that, okay, Star Trek motion picture almost sunk Star Trek. And you can say the second person that saved Star Trek was Nicholas Meyer. Well, maybe the third person. The second per person may have been B. Joe Trimble with the letter writing campaign to give Star Trek a third season. Mm. TV. Who, who I met, by the way. Go to YouTube and you'll see that video. Yeah, I was going to say, you, you, you met her. I, I mean, did. Wow. I awesome. Did. And her husband as well. 
But William Shatner is the cornerstone right next to Gene Roddenberry for this for this show. I, and, and that is debatable because in reading um, his movie memories book and reading Leonard Nimoy's book, I Am Spock, Spock was a fan favorite. I mean, he talks about, you know, publicity appearances where he was only expecting to see a couple hundred people. And in one performance, there was 3,000 people. They had to mm. get him out of there. <laughs> but I'm telling you, if you say Star Trek, if you're my age, if you're Craig J's age, if you're Big Sexy's age, you say Star Trek, you can't say that without thinking about Captain Kirk. The thing is, the, 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 the way he does it is he really sells it. Because if you think about it, it was a really cheaply made sci-fi TV show. and But he sold it. Every episode, he sold it. Yeah. So it, it just drew you right into the show. And you didn't care that it was a cheaply made sci-fi TV series. So, yeah, that was it. <clears throat> that is correct. Now, before we leave, I have a little bit of trivia. Okay. Right. We have All some right. trivia. Now, ironically... Well, not ironically, but maybe coincidentally, you already answered one of the trivia questions. The first question was going to be, what alien species is Martia? And as All you, right. As you adeptly, well, I give you points for this. You said Camaloid. Yeah. It's Camaloid, but I will give that Okay. To you. Okay. All right. <clears throat> now, here's the next question. Second question. Under what article of interstellar law was Chang able to place Bones and Kirk under arrest? <laughs> I would not know that. That's, uh, <laughs> unfortunately, that's uh, too much of a tiny part of the movie. <laughs> okay. Well, he says it very clearly. He says it right after uh, after Bones crushes the <laughs> Gorkon's chest <laughs> on the table. I tried to save him, man. And, and I love the way... I love the way uh, uh, Chang, you know, Christopher Lee just calmly says, under Article 184 of Interstellar Law, I am placing mm. you under arrest. <laughs> <laughs> so it's Article 184. Now, one, one thing I wanted to say about that is, you remember when they, they were standing on trial and they held those things to their head, which would oh do God. the translations? Yeah. Now, they, they look very, very cool in the movie, but have you ever seen what those things actually look like? Because I've seen some... some uh, eBay things where they sell sold those as props. Yeah, you know, they look like crap. They look <laughs> like they were thrown together by a three year old. But on the, in the movie, you just you just it's they look totally different. Must it's, be the lighting and everything. It's called but, lighting. Oh and man, it, <laughs> it's funny you say that because um, Nemo uh, was Nemo. Was this a Nemo's book? I read uh, I read recently somewhere. It must have been his book that um, or maybe it was on Wikipedia. You know, there were only. I'm going to guess maybe a handful of Klingons in that scene. You know, you can they're 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 in a circular arena. Yeah. You can see Klingons in the shadows and you you feel like you're in a whole arena, but from what I could gather, there's probably only a handful of Klingons in there. Mm. People made up as Klingons because of the lighting. It looks like everything falls off into darkness. Right. So, yeah, yeah lighting is a powerful tool in the it is. in the cinematographer's toolkit. It so, is, yeah. But now, don't distract me. You got another <laughs> trivia question coming. Okay. All right. Now, you should know this, okay? Even though it's said very quickly, it was a critical point in the film. What are the names of the two Starfleet crewmen who assassinate Gorkon? I don't know. 
I don't know. (laughs) What is it? What are they? Burke and Samno. Okay. Come on, that's a hard question. No, it's not. (laughs) Very hard. Yeah. Wow. Even if I just watched the movie 10 minutes ago, I wouldn't have remembered that. Okay. (laughs) I don't know. I think I'm going to have to send you down to Neelix and uh, put you in the galley for a little bit. <laughs> I'd, I'd like to see some comments on that. Was was that a fair question or not? Well, they, bring it on. Bring it on. Bring it on. <laughs> all right. So, all right. So, there you have it. Um, Craig, any last comments or any, any on anything, Trek? Anything you want to say? or before we? No. Uh, I'm probably going to make you annoyed, but I'm still enjoying the Orville. Oh. And uh, the the la- I didn't watch the last episode yet, but the previous one where they came across the ship, uh, which was big enough to be uh, to be a planet, and the people on board believed that they were living on on a planet. Very very clever episode. And um, of course, the ship looked like a turtle, which you don't th- know anything about how some religions believe that you know the whole universe is on a turtle and so on. Very clever episode. So it's still enjoying it. It's, it's just a fun little show. So in other words. They stole from the Relics episode of TNG. Yeah, I'm sure they did. Where they uh, came across a um, a Dyson sphere. <laughs> yeah, oh. it's uh, it. But you you should you should watch some episodes of the Orville. It's it's just a fun little show. It's you can't take it seriously, but it's just a fun show that's got some interesting themes and they tell a good story. I okay, just give me two minutes on this. All right, I was gonna do a whole YouTube video on this. But, <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> because I, <clears throat> there are people, and I, you know, I don't know if you've been going to the YouTube channel um, and to the audience. You know, there's a lot of content on there, so please check that out. Uh, go to YouTube, search under Red Shirts, the Star Trek podcast. I I can't watch the show on general principle, and I know people are going to say I'm being stubborn, and I know people are going to say that well, there are a lot of Star Trek alumni that are working on the show. That doesn't make it any more palatable to me. I I just can't support that show because number one, I think the humor sucks. And number two, it's it's it wants to be Trek and it's not. So it just steals Trek's ideas. It's um it's interesting you say that because it I, I'm not seeing it as a Star Trek placement in any way. I'm seeing it as a homage to to Star Trek. And yes, the humor is not that funny. It's maybe it'll get better. There's not very there's not many laugh out loud moments, but there's funny moments, um, and they they tell they tell interesting stories. I think they tell the stories that the next generation, the original series, would have told if they were on TV now, but they're not, and no one wants them to be back on TV. But the Orville tells those same kind of stories. It's just um, as I say, it's I don't see it as a replacement for Star Trek in any way. I don't think that that's what they intend, but they it's an homage to Star Trek, and that's why, as I said. As you said, there's so many Star Trek alums working on it on that show. So why can't it be a show that is not so clearly trying to be Star Trek? Why can't it just be? Uh, why can't it be like a? And I'm not saying it should copy any other show. Why can't it be a Firefly or a um, or a, 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 a what's that other show? Ah, on Sci-Fi, Gal- not Galactica. Battlestar Galactica. No, was a good... not that one. But there's another. There was another Caprica. Oh yeah, well Cap- oh, Caprica is part of Battlestar, yeah. Oh, is it okay? I, see, I it don't is. watch that. It's, it's it's the planet Caprica. It's the, it's the planet, one of the planets. But um, I think it's because Star Trek has got the the most the widest appeal. Right. See, you keep hitting on you you along with everyone else keeps hitting on why I can't watch the show. 
<laughs> it's so much like Star Trek. It's that's if that is the main reason I should be watching, I think that's insulting because you keep telling me because it's like Star Trek. Mm. Well, that means they ripped off Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, but they're doing it. They're not doing it in a malicious way, though. I don't don't well, see it not, being malicious. You know. Yeah. When Seth MacFarlane ripped off Simpsons, he didn't do it in malicious. He didn't do it in a malicious way either. But. Right. No, I know. I bet yeah. he. Yeah, he he made it successful in its own right. He, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. All right. Well, you know what? The premise you just told me of that episode where um, you said they, these people think they're living on a planet. Yeah. That is interesting to me. So, and I did get a request on the YouTube channel. You know, uh, it was a request to the to the uh, podcast we did about Orville one and done, which clearly <laughs> it's not one and done. Clearly. <laughs> They said, no. could you watch it again and give another review? So maybe I'll do that. I'll watch. What You don't remember the title of that episode, do you? Or... No, I I'll don't. Find it. I'll find it. But uh, I'll do that begrudgingly, and I'll I'll give an honest opinion of it. Yeah. I think it was, cle- it was also clever because it, talk- it talks to the religious, you know, how people are always looking for a God to explain what's going on as opposed to just believing that it's just – randomness in real life so you know it, they, it's very a very confined um way of telling the story because these people are living on a starship and based on memories thousands of years old they believe in a god which is was you'll you'll, you'll understand when you watch the story he wasn't a god but they got the story wrong after yeah. thousands of years they, they got the story wrong and then they are they're viciously protecting this religion and this person who is not a god after all so it was a, it was an interesting story to tell. There was another TNG episode that reminds me that we talked about it, uh, where it, we, we talked about whether or not it was a violation of the uh, Prime Directive, where this alien race is living in the holodeck. They think they're living. The oh planet. yes, I remember that episode. You know, I, I I'm going to watch it, but again, I I just can't fathom or I can't countenance the the the. the the perceived theft of ideas. And, and, and here's the thing. You know, as you're telling me these stories, I can pinpoint where I remember those in the Berman Trek verse. Okay. Mm-hmm. And as I keep hearing more, it's like, you know what? It makes me more resolved to liking Discovery. And the fact that it is so, people claim, perhaps rightfully, that it's so much not like Trek. And to me, it's like, well, you know what that means? That means the producers of Discovery have moved on, and Seth is sh- giving us rehashed versions of a cherished memory. That if I want to see it, I want to go back to the source. Right. Yeah. And, and I know what you mean. It's the same thing. No offense. It's the same reason. I just don't think I can watch Stranger Things. Oh wow! No, come on. <laughs> Why can't you watch Stranger Things? What, what's? I, it's I, not stealing I, from anybody. I, well, no, you're right. It's not. Wow, we talk about. Talk about a course correction. <laughs> yeah, we've gone off topic yet, but I, I'm actually, you know, I, I um, there, there's very few shows on TV that have totally captivated me. One is Lost. Yeah, yeah. Lost just, I lived in the Lost universe for, what, six years, and I yeah. absolutely adored that show. It was so cleverly written, acted. It yeah. was just amazing. And it, it, yeah, it, it's I don't know what I don't know what to say about that. The writers of that show knew exactly how to write these intriguing stories without giving away things. Then the next one that was Stranger Things. 
that show just just drew me right in. It was an amazing, just an amazing TV show. So I've and I'm busy watching the second season right now, which just dropped last night, I think. But I'd love to know why you don't want to watch Stranger Things. Now, let me see. now did they they drop all the episodes at once? All all at once, yeah. It's not it's not going to be like Star Trek where it's once a week. They just Netflix just puts them all out there at the same time. Right now. I, I'm sorry. I'm kind of sorry I made the comparison at this point, but because <laughs> maybe it comes off a little bit flippant, but it, it is the same. Re- one of the same reasons I can't watch Orville. I watched the 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 debut, the pilot, I guess you will, if you say, um, of Stranger Things, mm-hmm. and I found myself thinking, well, okay, there are scenes that just are blatantly. They're not homages. They're just blatant beat by beat from movies from the 80s, E.T. There's a scene in the kitchen where they're playing a, uh, an RPG, you know, like a Dungeons and Dragons type of game, and mm-hmm. they're running outside, and I'm like, ah, well, I, I don't want to see. It's like watching the 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 shot for shot remake of of uh, Psycho that Gus Van Sant tried to do. <laughs> Why? <laughs> but the thing is that if you don't. Uh, look, uh, I don't know if they are scene, shot, shot for shot scenes. Maybe they are, but the thing is, it has, it portrays the '80s look and feel beautifully. And I almost think it's almost like a, it's done like a Stephen King story. Stephen. It even takes. Uh, yeah. King or yeah, Stephen Stevens. King. Okay, I thought I was going to say Steven Spielberg. No, 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 Stephen King. If you read any of Stephen King's books, uh-huh. I think you'll know what I mean about Stranger Things. It's written like a Stephen King story. And it even takes place in Maine, which, of course, we all Stephen King stories take place. Uh-huh. And um, it's brilliant. I think it's brilliantly written, brilliantly acted. The 80s themes are just amazing. It just pulls you right back to the 80s. And so even if they do have some scenes that are shot by shot, it's not the, not the whole story is like that. So maybe they are playing uh, paying homage to certain things from the 80s. But I love it. I'm, and, I'm enjoying and, the second season as well. And to be clear, I, I'm not suggesting that they're doing shot shot for shot uh you know remakes of 80s movies but it just felt like they were borrowing too much like okay for example i en- i enjoyed the first two acts of um was a super 8 mm. which was to me an homage as well it but was it, it felt it felt like an homage because of the tone not because they were doing well let's take this scene and put a spin on it let's take this scene from that movie and put it now I, the movie fell apart for me at the end, but up until that point, to me that is what I enjoy. It felt like an '80s Spielberg film, but it wasn't obviously. I couldn't say, "Oh, that's E.T., that's mm. Jaws, mm. that's Close Encounters." I couldn't say that, but I felt like I was watching an '80s film. You, does that make sense? I don't know. I don't get the same feeling. It feels to me like I'm watching an '80s TV show, but I don't. I mean, I lived through the '80s. I don't. I, I don't think I could watch any of those scenes and say specifically that it came from ET or hmm. whatever. Maybe I haven't watched them more, you know, recently enough. But it's just if you forget about that, the, just enjoy for what it is. It's a very well written show, and um, just the the whole premise of the show is is, is an amazing premise. And it, isn't there? I think I left off. Did I watch the second episode? I remember leaving off where they find a. a, a what they think is a young boy, but it turns out to be a girl. Yeah, eleven. Eleven, right? The that, name is eleven. Yeah. That's where I left off. <laughs> so you, so you need to watch the rest of the show then, because you, you've really just barely scratched the surface of what the story is about. 
right. So, yeah. 11 is her name, and it turns out that she was the 11th experimental child. Well, don't give it away. <laughs> no, no, I'm not, I'm, I won't, because you know, that's not giving any, anything away, really. But that's why her name's 11. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. All right. All right. Well, well, it's been a great, great time talking about discovered, undiscovered country, and I hope everybody enjoyed it. And leave us comments. Yes. Was Mike too unfair with his, with his uh, <laughs> questions there? Wait, Mike? Who's Mike? Who's, I don't know Mike. Oh, that, a Q, Q. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, we, we, every time Q uh, records the show, he, he he does have a lounge, some lounge wear that he wears. We'll post pictures of that. I just I'm wearing them right now. <laughs> I just had to use the bathroom. I, I opened up the flap and <laughs> took care of what I had to do. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, all right, with that, folks, uh, we will be back. I, I again, I apologize for the delay in recording. You know, life happens, but we will be back on track. I think the next episode we'll either talk about uh, what well, we, we were going to talk about Star Trek for. No, the next episode we have a, a special guest coming on board. We'll have a lot of things to talk about Discovery, and that's why I wanted to do this because you know I don't want to get too Discovery heavy, as I said before. Right. But that'll be a good one, folks. So uh, again, leave your comments, your complaints, your criticisms. Email us at redshirtspodcast at gmail Go to uh, Red Shirts, a Star Trek podcast on Facebook, YouTube. Uh, if you like Discovery and you want to hear what we think about it, go to the Discovery channel on our uh, YouTube channel. I'm, copyright, I know we might get sued for that, but hey, uh, Discovery <laughs> channel on YouTube on Red Shirts, Star Trek podcast. Find us on Tumblr and you can tweet us at Red Shirts 1701 on Twitter. And with that, we are out of here. Until next time, peace. Peace. Red Shirts is not endorsed by Paramount Pictures, Viacom, or CBS. It is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Star Trek, the Star Trek logo, and all names, pictures, and audio of Star Trek characters are registered trademarks and or copyrights of their respective trademark and or copyright holders. Mm-hmm.